Friends, I have to admit that the first time I read through this scripture passage in preparation for the sermon this week, it seemed a little familiar, and I couldn't help but think, didn't the disciples get it the first time? As you might remember, two weeks ago, the scripture passage that we read was very similar, also from the Gospel of Mark, just a few paragraphs before what we have here. And that's where they had been arguing about which, which among them was the greatest and who was the best and who was the greatest disciple. And Jesus reprimanded them and reminded them that it wasn't about who was the greatest and who was the best and who was the most faithful, but it was about welcoming all of God's children, welcoming the child. And yet here in this passage we have Jesus having children being brought to him. People are bringing their children to him so that he might bless them. And what is it that he does? What is it that the disciples do? They, they scold the people and they tell the people, don't bother Jesus with these little kids. You think that they would know better. They just got done having this conversation. So what's this all about? Why is it that we have this repetition of, of this lesson that the, Jesus is teaching the disciples so close to what he had taught them just days before? What's this moment? What's the situation all about? You know, as it, as it comes to this particular passage, I've heard it interpreted a couple of different ways. And so first I want us to take a look at a couple of those interpretations. One is an interpretation that I've heard that this is our directive and this is our command and this is the reason why we teach children at a very young age about God and Christ. Because Jesus says, if you don't receive the kingdom of heaven as a little child, then you can never enter into it. Something like that, right? That's what he said. But that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense because most of Jesus' ministry wasn't focused towards the children. He would talk about welcoming the children. If you welcome one such as this, you welcome me and not me, but the one who sent me. He welcomes the children. He blesses the children. He spends time with the children, but that is not the focus of his ministry. Most often he was found teaching and preaching to adults, encouraging adults. And uh, The rich young ruler comes to mind. Someone who he very clearly wasn't, who wasn't already following Jesus but wanted to. And Jesus was teaching him about what he needed to do in order to follow him. He was talking to the adults, not children. If the focus was children, then he'd have been focused on them all along. So that, that interpretation, while it is good, and it is very important for us to continue to teach our children, don't get me wrong. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The other interpretation I often uh, hear here is that this is the need for having a childlike faith, an innocence in our faith, a childlike joy, and a childlike wonder. And that's all well and good. But at the same time, if we are experiencing the world around us, it's very hard for us to put aside those things that we have experienced in our lives, like Job, to enter in with a childlike sense of trust and wonder. We've seen too much, we've experienced too much, 
to put that all aside and say, yeah, but it doesn't matter what we've seen in the world. We'll ignore that. And I don't think Jesus is calling us to ignore our experiences and ignore our situations. I, I don't think that God is calling us to write off everything that we've gone through and everything that we are going through. It's just not possible. So while it is good to have a sense of joy and wonder like a child, I'm not sure that this is what Jesus is saying here either. So could it be? Could it really be that Jesus is just simply reiterating his point from earlier, the one that we talked about a few weeks ago, that you receive the kingdom of God in the same manner as you receive a child? And so if you receive a child with open arms, welcoming them with joy and peace and love, then you will be welcoming in the kingdom of God into your life with joy and peace and love. And if you do not welcome a child, if you shun a child, if you keep a child out, then you are doing the same to the kingdom of God. It makes sense, after all, because here, again, as a few paragraphs ago, Jesus is referring to the children as a metaphor for a whole host of other people in society. We know that Jesus spent a good deal of his time eating and talking and spending time with outcasts and sinners and tax collectors. He often got a lot of guff about this. This was one of people's biggest complaints about Jesus. He eats with those people. He touches those people. How can he do that? Doesn't he know that they are not worth our time? They are not worth our energy. They are not worth our community. They have been shunned. They are cut out. We want nothing to do with them. How dare he? Children were seen much the same way. Much the same way. They were, they were on the fringes. They weren't important. Why would Jesus want to spend time with the children when he can be talking to the important people around the table? If you don't welcome such as these, you cannot welcome the kingdom of God. So he repeats the metaphor. And while you might think the disciples would have been duly chastised after the first where they were caught uh, comparing themselves to each other and figuring out who was the, the most important, I'm not quite sure that this message was intended for the disciples after all. And this is where I'd like you to turn back with me to Mark. If you marked that passage earlier... <clears throat> We can go back to the beginning of chapter 10, and actually the lectionary selection for this week starts with the first verse of chapter 10 and continues on through what we read today. And it seems like an odd couple of verses to put together, and so for the most part when it's preached on, you either preach on the first part or the second part. But I think that there's an important connection here. Jesus left that place and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. As crowds again gathered around him, as was his custom, he again taught them, and some Pharisees came to test him. And they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? 
He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then in the house, the disciples again asked him about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And people were bringing little children to him in order that he might bless them. The disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And like I said, oftentimes when we read this text, this particular passage, we focus on that first part. Because those are hard words for us to hear, especially in our world and our society today where so many marriages have ended in divorce and, and there's a question about what that means and is it Christian, is it biblical, and, and all of that. And we can get caught up in the legality and the morality and the rules and the situation that Jesus is addressing here and try to apply it to our lives in very specific and concrete ways or, on the other hand, try to talk about the difference from the culture then to the culture now and all of that. And I think that's kind of the point that Jesus is making here. We get so caught up in all of that. We get so caught up in all of that. And we miss the point of what God has called us to do. The passage starts out that the Pharisees had come to test him. Remember, they weren't just asking a casual question. They wanted to test him. They wanted to check and see if A, he knew the law, and if B, he was teaching something unlawful. Remember, they were out to get him, and they were using anything that they could get their hands on to do it. Advocating something that would go against the law of the land would be enough. And so he answers them exactly what the letter of the law is. What did Moses tell you? This is what Moses told you, but we hear that this is the way that it should be. Done. He has proven his orthodoxy. He has proven that he is not teaching anything that is unlawful. He is not teaching heresy. He is not blaspheming God. And they go on their way. But then he goes on to make his point to the disciples. And I'd like to think there's a part of me that would like to think that the Pharisees were still there. There's a part of me that would like to think that the Pharisees got to hear this. Because immediately after he addresses this whole thing about divorce and adultery and, and all of that, People are bringing their children to him, and the disciples scold them and try to send the children away, and he says, do not stop them from coming. 
It's important for us to hear this point. No matter what we think or don't think about different situations, we don't get to cut anybody out. We don't get to deny anyone community. We don't get to send anyone to the back of the line or shun them from our fellowship work or worship. We don't get to decide who God invites to this table. We don't get to decide who is worthy of God's love and who is not. We don't get to decide because we are all God's children. The child, the elderly, the leper, the healthy, the prostitute, the thief, the police, the tax collector, the tax, the sinner, the saintly, the divorced and the remarried and the single and on and on and on. We are all God's children, all of us, and we don't get to decide who is not. God has invited us all to this table, and we are to welcome all whom God has sent us with love and peace and joy as we welcome in the kingdom of God. We are reminded time and time throughout scripture that none of us, none of us, are worthy of the love of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all done things in our lives that God looks at us and says, you know, you shouldn't have done that. We are all broken and sinful people, and yet, by God's magnificent and unfathomable mercy, we are all recipients of God's love, and that is the good news of the gospel time and time and time again, that no matter who we are, no matter what we have done, no matter what, it is God's love that embraces us and surrounds us and brings us back to the table and makes us whole. What a great gift that is. And that is what Jesus is saying here as he gathers the child to him. And time and time again throughout scripture as he talks about those who have welcomed him, and fed him, and clothed him, and visited him in prison just as they've done to the least of these. God has invited us all. God has welcomed us all. God has given us all his love and his peace and his mercy. We are all brought in and surrounded by God's love in each and everything. Let us welcome each other like a child with love in our hearts with joy in our presence, and with God's peace in our words and in our actions. And let us remember that God welcomes us with all of these things and invites us all to this table of mercy, grace, and fellowship. Thanks be to God. In that, we take a moment today to remember that we have gathered around this table with sisters and brothers from around the world and throughout time. So I'd like to invite you to join together in the affirmation of faith, the faith in which we confess. By, by reciting, repeating the Apostles' Creed, you can find this printed in your bulletin. As we say together, I believe 
in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.